Unfortunately, now we are joined by one of the voices of reason. He is a former NFL offensive tackle. He played nine years in the league with the Browns and the Chiefs, played his college ball at Cal, a.k.a. UC Berkeley. He won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs in 2020, a four-time All-Pro. He is Mitchell Schwartz. Mitchell, it's always great to have you on the show. Thanks for making time for it once again. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, dude. Good, good, good. Listen, I was not going to start with this, but I'm just kind of following the thread of the show. We've been having a conversation about Mike Tomlin. And in fact, Mitchell, we've been having a conversation about Mike Tomlin for weeks now. Steeler fans cannot wait to get rid of this guy. Like, I'm shocked. And not only that, it seems really personal. I'm curious. Like, I got an email earlier today, Mitchell, from a Steeler fan saying, let me tell you about Tomlin, Rome, that you and the other national sycophants do not get. There is no discipline. There is no accountability. There is no responsibility. I want to get your reaction to that. And as somebody who used to play against Tomlin coach teams, what were they like? Did they strike you as undisciplined and having no accountability and responsibility? No, I think whenever you played Pittsburgh, you kind of knew it was going to be a hard-hat game. You knew they were going to be tough and physical, and they were going to be all over their assignments, and they were going to have the right mentality and bring it. And I've seen that discussion as well. I think it's interesting. You know, we saw Najee Harris maybe make a comment that a Nick Saban-run organization is better and there's more kind of player-led discipline or there's more in-house discipline than what Tomlin has. But when we've seen guys leave and we've seen – what they can do in other organizations, we come to realize, like, huh, maybe Tomlin did have more control of this than we realized because things seem to get minimized, you know, internally in Pittsburgh, whereas these guys leave and things get uh, overblown. And so I do think he provides good leadership. I think he provides good structure. I would be curious from, you know, if I was a Steelers fan or if I was a front office member and, you know, you're trying to figure out if you want to move on, who has been making the decisions, especially on the offensive side of the ball, the past few years in terms of bringing Matt Cannon in, sticking with him as long as they did? Um, I think that would be the key for me is to figure out what that vision is offensively and how much control over that side of the ball has Tomlin had. I think that's key. And he, again, he's not picking the players, right? He's not drafting the players. He's not signing free agents. He's not bringing in guys of questionable character. He's coaching the players that have been given to him, right? And last I checked, Mitchell, tell me I'm wrong. Has there ever been any coach anywhere that's ever won anything that mattered without a great quarterback or at least a very good quarterback? No, you're right on that. And again, that's, that's the question, right? Is it it does seem like an organization that they allow the front office to be the front office and the coaching staff to be the coaching staff. So is he getting saddled with, you know, subpar quarterback play since uh, really Ben's last year when, when he looked pretty uh, ready to get out of the NFL. And like you said, I mean, same thing we've seen in new England, like when you don't have the quarterback that magnifies all the other uh, blemishes in the organization. And now all of a sudden people think those are blemishes that you can't live with. And I think the track record of Tomlin, they, outperform, I would say, their talent level every single year. And I do think if they were able to find the quarterback, they would, you know, fall back up uh, into serious AFC North contendership and playoff runs and all those things. It's just, it, it's hard to find that guy when you're as good as Tomlin makes them every year. And so when you're picking, you know, 16 to 22 every year, it's incredibly difficult to actually find a guy who's a game changer quarterback.
Exactly right. You and I are on the exact same page. Mitchell Schwartz is joining us. So, Mitchell, you were posting on the X during the Eagles' playoff loss to the Bucks, and you said, quote, the Philly defense is something else. Wow. End of quote. Which pretty much summed up how badly they got shredded by Tampa Bay. That, pardon my language, but the hell happened to this team? How did they go from nearly winning the Super Bowl last season to 10-1 and this season to one and done only a few weeks later? I do think the ten and one was a little bit of a mirage, and if you were paying attention to you know Philadelphia watching the games, paying attention to what the city was talking about, I think everyone felt a little bit uneasy about how the team had looked to that point. Uh, it did seem like there was a bit of you know maybe front office error coming into the season, and they basically you know punted on linebacker for a few years. They've kind of money balled, low balled the safety position. They came into the year, they lost five defensive starters, and they went old at corner. You know, most I think if they have only one corner that's under 30, that's not a position you want to, you know, primarily have older guys at. And so personnel-wise, they didn't quite have the horses. And then you look at the defensive line, which has been their mainstay. And again, Brandon Graham, older guy, Fletcher Cox, older guy. They've got a couple young dudes in there who, who can play some ball. But I think it was built with guys who aren't quite as good for, you know, modern football as we're looking in that gets into positional value and, you know, should you go out and pay linebackers? Should you draft them early? Nobody wants to do that until you're bad defense and you can't cover the middle of the field. And you look at 49ers with Warner, you look at uh, what Baltimore's done with Roquan and with Patrick Queen, and you're like, hmm, maybe there's some value to having a stud in the middle of the defense. And so um, I think, you know, personnel-wise, they were let down coming into the year. Obviously, schematically, Jonathan Gannon leaves. We all make fun of him for his uh, press conferences and videos in Arizona. But come to find out, he's, you know, pretty good head coach, pretty good defensive coordinator. So there's some schematic things. And then I think if you're turning towards Matt Patricia in the last six weeks of the season, uh, that kind of tells you all you need to know. Mitchell Schwartz is joining us. All right, so the Chiefs won their eighth straight divisional title, but not much has come easily for them with their four home losses this year, but they're still in it. They're right there. They did dominate the Dolphins in their wild card win. Did that game tell you more about Kansas City, or maybe did it tell you more about Miami? It told me a lot about Miami. Um, I say from the Chiefs' perspective, the thing I found the most encouraging, and not just me being biased being a former offensive lineman, but I thought the offensive line looked like the Chiefs' playoff offensive line that we expect out of them. They were physical. Um, I was kind of thinking that this game almost turned them into the version of the offense that we wanted to see all year, where they're still throwing the ball down the field, they're still attacking uh, vertically, but they're running the ball a little bit more they're sprinkling in some things. The offensive line kind of ratcheted up the intensity a bit and really wanted to prove themselves and show that they were the driving force. And it's been pretty apparent. I mean, you go back to the Super Bowl that uh, was my last year that I was injured that we lost to Tampa Bay. It's been an organizational edict since then. Like, we're going to invest in the offensive line and we're going to keep Patrick upright and healthy. And when the offensive line performs to the talent level, to how much they're paying the guys, that runs the entire team. If you know, we always have a saying, uh, protection beats coverage. If we're able to give him five seconds, someone's going to get open. It doesn't matter what the receiver room looks like. Um, so I was very encouraged by the offensive line performance from Kansas City. Obviously, defensively, we've seen that clip of, you know, Snead locking down Tyreek. But more than that, just that whole game, the, the mentality they played with. And I think if you've got a defense that's playing as good as they are and physical as they are and the O-line can play the way they did, um, that would be the most encouraging thing for me going into this really, really tough Buffalo environment. I love, I love that analysis. I think you're right about the offensive line. I thought they played great, and you're right. There has been that edict since that loss that you mentioned. You did start the answer by saying, I do have thoughts on Miami. What are your thoughts on Miami? 
But it's not sustainable. Um, you know, I think they have to work around to his deficits a little bit too much. I think he brings a lot of good to the table. He's extremely quick in his decision-making. He's accurate. Um, he does all those things at a really high level. But when that's not available, when that breaks down just a little bit, we've seen the past two years now, things look really poor. And you're getting to the point where you're going to have to pay him a little bit of money here. And I think even a Daniel Jones-style contract in that you know, 38 to $42 million range, to me, is still a little bit rich for what he can build uh, in Miami. Because, again, I just think you're seeming around to it too much because it's not just we're going to accentuate his strength and he gets the ball out quickly and he's really good at being accurate. You're protecting him from injury in that offense. You know, you, it's harder to run a more traditional offense that is going to have more dropback schemes because he's not as good at it and the injury risk is always there. So, to commit the amount of money that you would have to for him, again, that always detracts from the talent around you. And if you have to detract from, you know, Tyreek and Waddle and Toronto Armstead left tackle, Austin Jackson who just got a new deal right tackle, and you've got some other guys who are making money, and once the quarterback starts making more, those guys can make less. Mitchell Schwartz is joining us. All right, so what about Buffalo and Kansas City? Great, great matchup. The Bills were even more inconsistent than Kansas City may have been during the year, but they're playing well when it matters most. They've won six straight. How do you see Sunday's game, and what do you think it's going to come down to ultimately? It's going to be an emotional game, that's for sure. I feel like Buffalo, the fans especially, have been wanting to get Kansas City into Buffalo for a home playoff game for three years now. And it's going to be an incredible environment, incredible atmosphere. I think, you know, obviously Buffalo's got two less days of rest. I don't think that's going to matter. I think this is such an emotionally charged game that both teams are going to be bringing it from a mentality perspective. I do think, you know, the six-game win streak, Buffalo has won some important games and some good games. I don't think they've been dominant or they've really, you know, had a statement game. And you look at the New England game and they really only win by a touchdown. You look at some of these other games. Uh, you know, you go big on Pittsburgh and kind of let them back in the game towards the end there. So they are playing better. I don't know if they're playing maybe as dominantly as Buffalo fans would want them to be at this particular point. And a lot of that's due to the injuries. I mean, they're just an incredibly injured team, which is unfortunate for them because you know, every year, seems like in September, they're the best team for four weeks and then injuries start to take their toll. And so being able to get those guys back healthy on the short week uh, is going to be really critical. But Man, hard fought game. I mean, watching these two quarterbacks go head to head is always extremely exciting. And um, literally, <laughs> you never know what could happen uh, when these two guys get in the same building. Can't wait. So, what about Patrick Mahomes? You know, a lot has been made of the fact that this is going to be his first game, playoff uh, game on the road. I mean, fun fact, right? Fascinating fact, right? I mean, he is six years in, but how much of a tangible difference do you really think that's going to make for Patrick Mahomes of all guys? So, it's not going to make a difference because he's done it. I mean, this is year six, and he's eighth all-time in postseason victories as a quarterback, and he hasn't played on the road yet. That's how dominant he has been as a quarterback. And so he's played on the road. He's played in big games on the road. He understands how that works. The biggest thing to me will be operations-wise. You know, that's something we've seen a few times. There have been some, you know, late calls getting in, having to burn timeouts, some frustration that doesn't seem like uh, the calls getting to him quick enough. And this is an offense that likes to shift. They like to motion. They like to double, triple count. They like to see what the defense is showing them. You know, communication is going to be a lot of nonverbal stuff. It's going to be difficult to hear. And so if you're not breaking the huddle with enough time to do everything you want to do at the line to give you that little bit of an advantage as the quarterback, uh, that's when things get, get tricky. So for me, I'm going to be seeing, you know, the first quarter, quarter and a half, operations-wise, if they're breaking the huddle with enough time, if they're getting up to the line and have to be able to get into 
all the shifts and motions and double cadences he wants to. And if they are, I think that, you know, bodes well for the offense. And, you know, typically if you're playing with tempo, if you're playing with speed, uh, you're probably playing successfully as well. My man, brilliant as always. Before you go, let me ask you this. You've got the top-seeded Niners and Ravens both rested. They're coming off their buys. Each are going to host a young team this weekend. Which team would you say would have the better chance of pulling off an upset, the Texans or the Packers? At this point, I'd have to say the Texans. I just feel like defensively I can bank on what the Texans are going to bring to the table every week a little bit more than what the Packers are. Um, And so I think both quarterbacks are playing exceptionally, and I think both offenses are going to perform to, you know, a pretty good level. But when you've got that kind of matchup, you know, you have to look at what the Green Bay defense could do to San Fran and what the Texans defense could do to Baltimore. And I just see maybe a little bit more success for Houston. So uh, if I'm, you know, picking one of those two teams to have the upset, I'd have to lean Houston. He is a Super Bowl champ. He is a four-time All-Pro, a former NFL offensive tackle, played for the Browns and the Chiefs. Mitchell Schwartz, my guest. Nobody better. Mitchell, really appreciate you. Great job as always. Thank you so much for making time for us, like you always do. Great job. Thank you. Good to, good to talk to you. Great talking to you. Mitchell Schwartz is so bright. He is so good. That's a clinic right there. Great stuff. All right, your thoughts and reaction to anything you just heard. Love talking to him. Very, very bright man. 1-800-636-8686. He is so good. I agreed with everything he said. Everything. But then I generally do agree with everything he says because he's much smarter than I am and is a Super Bowl champ and went to UC Berkeley and is a four-time All-Pro. He is so good. I mean, tremendous.